This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC Campfires is brought to you by DSC, the Dallas Safari Club, conservation, education, and hunter advocacy. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Ruger, rugged, reliable firearms. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, the calling us call made. Double Nickel Taxidermy, where hunting memories are preserved. Now, here's your host, Larry Wysoon. Mr. Corey Mason, it is uh, about three to four weeks after we had a virtual event for DSC. What did you think about all that? <laughs> well, Larry, good to be with you. We were, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> we were really um, encouraged and surprised in a very good way of the way things turn. You know, when we got the sort of that uh, the death card from the city of Dallas in December uh, that we couldn't hold a convention. We quickly assembled uh, really all the, uh, some really significant intellectual capacity on the board and put a committee together and scrambled to put together this event. Um, and what we saw was our industry come together as a whole. Uh, we saw many of our partners, folks that we work with directly and folks that just work with and know of DSC to assemble and say, how can we lend a helping hand because we want to support the mission of DSC. We appreciate what the organization is doing. Uh, and then we saw, like really in no other fashion that we've ever seen, we saw the members of DSC and the conservation community come together and support us both in capacity, just in, in overall sort of morale, if you will. And then they opened their checkbooks and supported our event. We were really overwhelmed with our results. I had the opportunity, of course, I, I try to check in every day and uh, called a bunch of dead gum people I knew too. And I said, don't you bid on such and such a matter because <laughs> I knew if I did that, they were going to say, they're going to look and see, you know, who the last bidder was. But the event itself, we had such great speakers, had the three nights of the speakers, and 
what I loved about them is we talked about, we were talking about this initially, mm -hmm. they were relatively short to the point talks and absolutely fantastically done. We did. We had the great fortune of many of our conservation partners around the world. We, As we've moved forward, we tried to, and we planned to do this in person, and we executed it this year, of, right. of recognizing we have three tenets of our mission, and that's conservation, education, and advocacy, in no particular order, but each obviously being mutualistic of the other. Uh, and so we had a, a speaker each night, again, really succinct, about three minutes in length, because we didn't want to lose people's attention and really make them powerful and potent at the same time. And we had a speaker each night focus on those, you know, from... Uh, Mr. Paul Stones to Mr. Steve Hornady to Deneen Van der Westhuizen spoke each night, and we addressed some other small topics throughout the night. But uh, yeah, really strong, powerful speakers. They were they were really happy to do it to support DSC, and what a privilege it is to have partners like that that are willing to say, yeah, you know, we'll we'll tee these evenings off to set the right mood and tempo for your events. We're I think so very fortunate, as you mentioned, just in the partners that we have in all this and. We're very fortunate, too, in the exhibitors that we have because Absolutely. it was virtually convention, if you will. And our exhibitors, I think, did really well. But also, I, what I really appreciate was the fact of the, the, the products that we had to do in auction, whether it was a silent auction or whether it was a live auction. Yeah, we, we were really pretty overwhelmed with that, you know, not knowing how exhibitors would respond with not having an in-person convention. Clearly, no one wanted that to start no, with, no. Uh, but we had the opportunity to reach out to those exhibitor partners and let them know that, hey, we're just moving everything forward to 2022 from a deposit standpoint, from all of the financial side. But the number of those exhibitors that said, we want to continue to support your mission, even though we can't be there physically. And they kept these really significant, amazing lineup of auction items, you know, from art to jewelry to, of course, all these incredible experiences, firearms, optics, and ammunition, all of our great partners, you know, that stood up and, and really supported us. And, and we were able to take those and build this great lineup each night, just similar to like we would if we were in person, you know, right. and, and have this lineup. And so we're just eternally grateful for those great partners in, the, in our exhibitor sense that, that said, yeah, we believe in what you do. We want to support you. And here's how we can provide for you from a funding perspective to get you through the next year because what you do is important to us as well. It, it, it truly is. Our, we, we base our convention pretty much upon our exhibitors when you get right down we to it. If it wasn't for them, we couldn't have what we do in person or what we had in this instance in a, in a virtual kind of a situation. But we also had some absolutely fantastic bidders out there. We did. It was really amazing. We had uh, so each night we had a really small number of people to right. make sure that we applied, you know, and adhere to safety guidelines and all those things in which we wanted to be highly cognizant of. Uh, we had a small number of people here at the DSC office um, and uh, that had supported us financially in the past, and they really stood up and helped us significantly. Uh, but really far and above, in addition to that as well, we had people from literally all over the world. There, there was a particular item I was bidding on, uh, and I was bidding against someone. Of course, they were online. Right. Uh, that was in Slovakia. Um, really? And the only reason I know that is because whenever you looked at the screen from the online bid, it showed either a country of origin, if it were international, and right. or if it were domestic within the United States, it would show state as well. We had bidders from all over the United States, Canada, Mexico, uh, a number of other countries around the world. It was really impressive to see the number of people that participated in that online auction. And they made it, they made the auction a true auction where it wasn't just right, one person right, right, that had right. a desire for an autumn. It was... You know, they, they ran the value to the point in which the exhibitor was fulfilled in their donation that received many of them, you know, close to 100 percent or some over 100 percent value. 
Yeah, I saw several of them that I thought were significantly over what, were. The, what the real value was, and even what the stated value was. So, I mean, that was out yeah. of this world. Yeah. I had the opportunity on Saturday night, couldn't be here in Dallas, and uh, but I happened to be at the uh, watch party that Russell and uh, Mary Edith uh, Stacy put together with Conroe Tax Derby, yep. which was an absolutely fantastic event. Yeah, that was a, it. Was a great event that the Stacys really put together, working with Barrett Simpson and Conroe Taxidermy. Right. We're so supportive of them, allowing us to to use that great facility oh, of theirs. Out of this world, yeah, so welcoming to do that, you know, and just provide that to us to support again the mission of DSC, and it was really meaningful. So we're we're really grateful to that, and then. All the people that showed up uh, to just support the mission, and they, as you well know, you were there, you know, had screens there to watch the event live, and back and forth on the phone making bids and supporting the auction, and, and then and then people that signed up for memberships, and just the whole energy, you know, in the absence of a, of a large in-person event, it was truly as close as we could come to do it without having a big event. It was wonderful. I think we ended up selling like 20 life memberships That's right. There. <laughs> That's exactly right. It was tremendous. We were very fortunate in that as, as I got in touch with Ruger and with the relationship that I've had with Ruger to help us in terms of providing some rifles. So yeah. for every five individuals that signed up for life membership, we would pull one name. And uh, we, we anticipated we were going to sign up maybe 10 people. We were hoping for twice that many. We got twice that many. So Ruger, <laughs> through their graciousness, stepped up as well, too, and, and uh, really appreciate those folks helping us out in that particular what we did right there. But uh, I know there are watch parties elsewhere, too. So, but what was tickled me is we had an absolutely great crowd and it was not a huge number of people and everybody was very gracious in terms of social distancing as much as we could kind sure. of thing. And as you mentioned, that's an absolutely fantastic facility. I had an opportunity to, uh, I'm going to get off this a little bit, but an opportunity to visit with Mike and, and Miss Becky Simpson. And actually, that facility is built onto the front of what used to be their home where they raised their, oh, well. <laughs> where they raised Mike Jr. and, and Barrett and <laughs> Travis. And uh, so it's an absolutely fantastic place. And I'd suggest anybody that has an opportunity to go down there and look at that and, and tell them thank you for everything, you particularly if you care about DSC as we do. Where is some of this money going to go to? We we did well. I'm not going to ask you the dollar figure, but where does where does this money now go to? Because we're such a bare bones organization when it comes to personnel. That's right, Larry. I appreciate that. Yeah, we you know the money doesn't go to just support this massive staffing. You know, we're really small staffed, and it's, in fact, we're we're oftentimes spread too thin to be overly effective. In some cases, it feels like you know, uh, but where this money will go straight to mission execution. You know, and it'll go to fund grants like like our funds at Congressional Sportsmen uh, on the Hill in Washington, D.C. every day, uh, our lobbyist that works there. Uh, it will go to conservation grants through the DSC Foundation and all the great work that's accomplished there from conservation projects in Mexico to, you know, West Texas to uh, anti-poaching programs in Africa, uh, sheep projects in Asia, wherever it might be, wherever the greatest conservation needs are, that's exactly where that'll go. It'll go to support the educational efforts, again, funded through the, the foundation primarily. Uh, but it will go towards boots on the ground, wildlife conservation, to support the basic tenets of legal regulated hunting and science-based wildlife conservation. So those dollars will go there uh, to really move forward uh, the model that we know and seem to be effective across North America and across the world. Um, and it will, be, it, will, it will be put on the front lines, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It will be. The interesting thing to me is every one of these projects, if it is a project, they're vetted. It's not That's like right. oh, somebody, oh, we need money. You know, here it is. Yep. Those those projects really are scrutinized to see whether they really accomplish anything and where the money goes. 
That's exactly right. And and those grants, you know, the the follow up and the documentation, and then also the ability to show success from past to build from, you know, and the ability to show other pe- other people how to replicate those successes. Uh, and that's exactly the type of story that we like to tell. Uh, we can show the demonstrated benefits of, again, science-based wildlife conservation and the role that the hunter plays in that. It, it, it's so interesting when you, you mention that because actually when you get right down to it, conservation is the wise use. It's not the preservation. It, preservation can be a part of that, but it, it's the wise use of that. And these days, a lot of times, we have a whole lot of experts out there that uh, <laughs> maybe really don't know for sure. You know, if you get right down to it, they really don't know what they're talking about. But there are some really outstanding people there, and that's the beauty of, of this programs or the programs that we have, where we truly vet these these projects. That's right, and we have a lot of partners. You know that we've established around the world yes. since the creation of DSC, obviously in the early '80s, uh, and then clearly the foundation as well. Then just working with partners, having the relationships, and knowing, but all the time looking for new projects to work in new areas to build connectivity in large landscapes, to build needed pieces of information to manage if it's charismatic megafauna, if it's grizzly bear or black bear or clearly some of the, you know, the, the mountain species or whatever it might be, elephants, you know, giraffe translocations, whatever it could be, you know, know that DSC and DSC Foundation are in, in the front of that. And it's important for people to know that that's where their dollars are going. Exactly. I agree. You, you mentioned it. It's boots on the ground. It's dollars going to, to make sure that those boots stay there as That's well. Right. Too. <laughs> and then we're exploring the new areas as well, too, because there's always new challenges that come up that we're going to have to face. There's a neat project I know that's uh, in uh, in Mozambique that DSC had the opportunity. There was a gentleman that flew and he was uh, in Dallas, uh, not by happen chance. He was here by business and he's from uh, from Europe and he happened to be here. He knew of DSC. Uh, Richard and I had the opportunity, he, he rang us, and we had a, just a sit around this table right here, and we had a conversation with him. And he wasn't skeptical, but he was cautious is probably a word to use. Right. He had, uh, I would say, purchased in a sense of a tender of an extremely large track of land in Mozambique. Very, very wild. Uh, really no inhabitants other than some local communities. No uh, no development, I should say. Right, right. And, um, and, and we had a conversation about what our organization was about. Uh, and he had his eyes opened, if you will, about uh, since the purity of conservation that we really kind of are, are earnestly after. And, uh, and since then, the foundation has supported him and in his development of his uh, track there, very large acreage again in, in Mozambique. And they have everything from community projects and the development and build out from, from honey uh, to uh, sustainable utilization in the sense of hunting, you know, quota-based, science-based hunting. Uh, and just a lot of these really great projects in which they're building out. And it's great because it's a very non-traditional person. It wasn't someone that wasn't opposed to hunting, but was on the edge sort of looking over the fences. How, how does this model work? And we were able to, by talking about our past successes, good projects, and him able to, to go back, do some truth checking and finding on, you know, hey, what are right. these guys about? What are they doing? And he got, obviously, good recommendations, and he said, yeah, we need to work together, you know. So it's those kinds of projects. Absolutely fantastic. You bet, that are that are just so fulfilling, you know, and to see them coming to be. And now we're actually wow. supporting building, uh, through the foundation, uh, a number of ranger uh, buildings, if you will, houses uh, for his anti-poaching unit to live in that formerly did not exist there. And so building the infrastructure to truly steward and care for those wildlife resources. Part of the beauty of that to me is this will serve, as you kind of mentioned, as an example, because maybe now we'll get another 
person maybe next door or kind of like some of the co-ops that we've seen here in Texas where you get a small group of landowners together with small acreages, but next thing you know, they're starting to see results and the neighbor across the fence says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Kind of thing. And so I think that can serve as a a great example to maybe be truly expanded all throughout Mozambique. Yeah, there's lots of of the other countries there as well too. Lots of great examples and those kind of Great examples of success breed success. You know, when you put, right. when you're not just, you know, spread one inch thin, if you really invest and find the right projects and show success there and you build from that, uh, and also it builds out confidence in foreign governments to have, you know, confidence in those kind of projects to be built out in their countries. And they see uh, from a community standpoint, from a resource standpoint, the very direct and indirect benefits from that kind of a project. Um, and as you well know, you know, we have memorandum of understandings with a number of foreign governments that are wildlife ministries proper. And so we work with them to develop these kinds of programs and projects. And it's it, very fulfilling from a conservation side. And will be successful, too. That's right. And it's the animals that benefit and the local population that benefits, the habitat benefits, because as being a biologist, you, you understand that anything that you do to improve the habitat Everything benefits That's in right. terms of the small game, the non-game, the butterflies, the insects, yep. the vegetation itself, kind of thing. Which is, and truly, you're right. That is that yep. is so fulfilling. But to find somebody to have an open mind, yep. that to me is is one of the first steps that we need to overcome. Sometimes is to just have people have an open mind to listen because if they will listen, do a little bit of research. They'll find out how important hunting plays into conservation and how important the conservation is in a worldwide situation. It's not just in a, a little type of thing, you know, a small unit, but yep. uh, it's amazing. That, that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's been a great success, and we're really excited to just continue to partner, you know, with these folks and see where it goes in the future. Oh, my goodness. Are there any other projects that you foresee coming up here in the next, little, say, this year? And I know you're probably already starting to plan for you bet. 2022 at this point <laughs> as well, too. We are. You know, one of the fa- the challenges that we're facing right now is with uh, with new administrations in a number of states and uh, states, excuse me, in the federal level, is uh, we obviously work in congressional sportsmen and a number of other partners in this capacity from a, from a legislative sense. And we have a, uh, a number of bills that we're tracking. And from the, uh, from the positive side, a number of states are looking to introduce, you know, the right to hunt and fish bills propositions. Yes, yes, Obviously, we're that. extremely supportive of those. Yes. Working with the game and fish agencies, the state governments there in those particular cases to, to again, show the demonstrated successes and show the benefits of why this works and why the model works in the states that have proven that. And looking at game and fish agencies, again, that are 60-plus percent funded by on the backs of sportsmen to fund those game and fish agencies. That's some of the positive legislation, and on the negative side that we're we're battling is there continues to be people, uh, excuse me, legislators at the state and federal level, and this is where hunters have to absolutely wake up and pay attention in their state and at the national level uh, of of people that are trying to shut down black bear hunting, mountain lion hunting, hunting with dogs in general in the broadest sense. Uh, bear hunting and lion hunting uh, are are coming hard. Uh, the opposition wants to stop that as well as anti-trapping. You know, they want to stop trapping on a lot of the Western lands, on public lands. And anyone that's pacified and says, oh, that doesn't affect me, they really need to wake up because that is the first step. The next step is trapping in general, and the next step is predator hunting, and the next is bear in line, and then you just work your way down the line. And and it's not to be an alarmist, but rather it's to be a realist. We're seeing it happen. Hunters have to pay attention and have to not have apathy and think, I don't participate in that. It doesn't affect me. And that's 
That's a really sad perspective when people have that. It really is. How do we counteract some of this happening? I can't even say the word right now. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I know it. it. It's hard to think about. Yeah. You know, well, we we really quickly showed as a community success in California. There was a state legislator there that introduced a bill uh, that would have uh, made it illegal to hunt black bears. In fact, that's not exactly what he did. He did it a little bit more calculated where he would have made the black bear a non-game animal where it couldn't have been hunted. So then thus the hunting season uh-huh. essentially goes away. Yes, right. Uh, and so... At the same time, the black bear population in California is extremely healthy, yes. uh, and due to management of that species, right. with an expanding human population, less habitat, the species has to be simply managed. Uh, but yet, the community—I mean, we we activated our members in California. We stood up. We wrote opposition letters. We contacted state legislators there, and very quickly, as did a number of organizations, we jointly did it as a coalition and stood up. And within just a few days. The legislature redacted his bill and realized that this wasn't the time, was the way that he saved face by saying that. Um, So that was a great success. What we show is as a community of people uh, that we can make a change and we can do so very effectively. But again, we have to be in the game. And that's what organizations like DSC and others do um, with the dollars that are granted to us to support and to provide that front line for our community. Which is really one of the reasons, if you love hunting, love the outdoors, you need to be a member not only of DSC, yep. but there are also local organizations you bet. that can go into forming those coalition type things. Yep. And that's the best way to be informed as well, too. And then I'm sure phone calls and and emails and letters and Absolutely. texts and everything else play very nicely into uh, letting some of these people know how, how the real world really feels. They do, and, and it's another, when we start looking at from the advocacy side, benefit to show like what our chapters can accomplish. You know, yes. we saw a session ago in the Northeast, uh, some local importation bills, anti-importation bills more specifically, and our chapter up there alongside DSC stood up and with some other partners, particularly like Congressional Sportsman, we were able right. to get in front of those legislators and get those kind of bills. That particular bill killed at the time. Well, there's some really ill-informed bill pieces of legislation right now going on in New Mexico. And our New Mexico chapter has really smartly and wisely stood up on some of those. And um, one particular bill right now that's there is is one that, uh, or two of them specifically, one that is trying to prohibit uh, trapping on public lands, which New Mexico is high high percentage yes, of public land uh, in an agricultural state as well, and which would decimate that industry, uh, not even speaking to the wildlife management right. side of that. And then another would actually would transfer priorities of the Game and Fish Agency really outside of their control. And so they wouldn't have the strategy and purpose to manage based on the conservation need from the trained, educated professionals in wildlife conservation. Rather, they would be more whimsical direction and strategy and change that essentially at, at who knows whose will. Uh, and something like that is just it's just completely the antithesis of how you manage wildlife at any scale. And so pieces of legislation like that have to be vehemently stood against. Um, and so we've seen organizations, again, like from a local level, from a chapter level of DSC, which we're very proud of them, obviously to the organization proper as well, fighting those kind of pieces of legislation. That's scary. It is. That's scary for so many different reasons when you get down to it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even if you, if you did away with it on, say, trapping <clears throat> or predator control on public land, there's... Not there's a fair amount of private land there, but all of a sudden that just 
you've got this huge reservoir then that yeah. those landowners that are actually own the land in those areas, as far as agriculture concerned, as far as sheep, goats, cattle, whatever, <laughs> not even thinking in terms of wildlife could be decimated. I mean, just totally destroyed. And, you know, in those pieces of legislation, there's all these inferences that what the anti-hunting community tries to do is they try to mar the line between legal hunting and poaching, and they try to make yes. the two synonymous. Yes. And we clearly know they're not. They've tried to do the same thing with this piece of legislation in which they say, you know, they give this, uh, they imply that the trapping on public land is not regulated. It's highly regulated. You know, it requires a license and and uh, certifications on the back end and pelts that are tagged and all these kinds of things. And so the checks and balances and measures are there. They've been there for decades and sometimes far longer than that. Uh, and, but, but yet it's implied that way to try to lead people astray to show that it's some unregulated, you know, highly egregious type of an activity where it's absolutely totally the contrary to that. It's done by responsible individuals uh, that's licensed and regulated by the state. There's tremendous oversight. Uh, but again, it, it's just someone that is trying to fulfill a personal agenda and take it out on people whose livelihood depend on it. And again, could you imagine the impact on the agricultural community? Sheep farming, goat farmers, clearly cattle and all that would happen if uh, if the trapping of those mammals was just unregulated and all of a sudden there was a boom in those species and there was no management. It's frightening. That is very frightening. Corey, how can, I mean, we I know we've got organizations. How can we take this one step farther? How can we not be on the defensive, I guess I'm saying? Mm -hmm. How can we become a little bit more in terms of doing offense and making people more aware, the general public more aware of, of real-world wildlife, real-world management, real world, anything. Anymore. Absolutely. You know, we, we've been able to see through some of these recent pieces over the last two or three years of legislation that are just coming just as an onslaught, it feels like, you know, from all across the United States, from the really most of them from the from the West Coast and from the East Coast, right. where many of these pieces of legislation come from, but to defeat them and to be able to specifically show the reason why it's ill-informed and why it is contrary to maybe what would be uh, sort of their common thought of how conservation through utilization in these particular cases and how the wise use and that wildlife must be managed based on science and by defeating these pieces of legislation we show that and prove that and then we can take that success and then show the next piece of legislator as we hear those bills are coming up and we've been successful in this we send it to the governor we send it to the heads of caucuses and we show them and we say this was thought of in another state and it was attempted and it was defeated because of this reason yes and so that's one way we're trying to get ahead by beating bills and showing them again that, yes. number one, maybe, for example, what we've seen in California, what they're doing is, is in violation of the Endangered Species Act. And we've literally written letters to the governor and saying, if you pass this, it will be met with vehement litigation because it is against federal law. And we saw one piece of legislation got all the way to the governor's desk about a year and a half ago, and he said, I can't sign this because it's against it's against federal law. Right. And so we're trying to just literally put science in front of them, fight smart, be strategic, and just beat these things. Thank God for DSC and a few other organizations <laughs> out there. My gracious. And thank yeah. to the members and the people who, That's who, right. are, who are, like we talked about the boots on the ground, because that makes an awful lot of difference as well, a tremendous amount of difference as well, too. That's right. You know, whenever we... We've really been trying to activate our membership in those respective areas. Now, there's certain pieces, if it's federal legislation, that we send to all of our members and ask them, here's a contact, contact your legislator. Right. Here's three sentences that we're suggesting. Write your own, whatever you want to do. Here's an email. Here's a phone number. Call them and tell them you oppose it for this reason. Or on the other side, call them and tell them you support it for this exactly. reason, whatever the piece of legislation yeah. is. 
But if it's a state issue, uh, whatever it is, you know, we, we call these essentially member action alerts and we send them to them and say, please contact your legislature. And that's one of the things that members or non-members can do. You know, if they see those things, if it's on social media, wherever it is, and to really understand the impact of when someone picks up the phone and they call that legislative office and when the legislature walks in and he talks to his assistant or clerk or whatever it is and they say, you know, we received 45 calls today in opposition to this, it makes them sit down and think, uh, maybe I don't need to co-sponsor this bill, you know. To me, one of the things that I think we, we I, don't, I don't know if this happens or not, but when that does, we need to also go back to them and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Kind Absolutely. Of That's exactly uh, right. I know so very often, I've talked to some of the legislatures in years past, mm-hmm. and one of their complaints was, if you will, is that the only time we hear from these people is when they're mad about something. <laughs> you know, right. So to me, one of the things that we did with a couple of the organizations I was involved in, we tried to establish some kind of relationship and say, thank you for what you're doing. You know, if there was any exactly. little thing that we could say thank you about, we did. So when they got a phone call, it wasn't always like, you sorry, no count, you don't know what you're doing <laughs> kind of thing. So yeah. I think if we can do some of that as well, too, and, uh, and particularly as members, uh, you know, there's all kinds of ways to say thank you that are legal, too. So Well, that's right. <laughs> you know? And, you know, and those, those people in those elected positions, they're very thankless positions, you know. Very thankless, yes. And they take a tremendous amount of time and energy and, and having that relationship with your elected official, if it's a county level, if it's a state level, if it's federal, whatever it is, Number one, to be thankful for what they're doing to represent them. Have a relationship with them. And then when you do call and ask, you know, it's not just another angry constituent. Exactly, yes. It's someone that cares and is passionate about something. If it's supportive or in opposition, whatever it is. But you can also respectfully, you know, provide your opinion. Yes. You don't have to berate someone to be effective. No, 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 no. no. Uh, Just communicate well. uh, And, you know, and again, if if it's an oppositional stance, because, you know, we work with a lot of people in Washington that, I think just about every position in life would be contrary to the way I think about it. <laughs> exactly. But it doesn't mean that we treat them disrespectfully. Right. You know, we have to be professional, uh, re- recognizing that we need a relationship with this individual. Again, even if we're constantly in opposition with them, we need to treat them right and we need to show respect to them and let them know why we feel the way that we do. Right. I think the respect <laughs> is the key word in that because it works both ways. That's right. Yep. They tune you out. If it's just constantly, you know, exactly. just rattling the cage there. But uh, when we treat them right, we tell them why. Yes. Uh, yeah, we, we're probably going to disagree with a lot of people on a lot of things, but that's okay. Right. You know, exactly. it, they're, they're part of their job is to listen to us. So They yeah. are. That are, That is one of their jobs. You're exactly right. That's something we need to remember, and hopefully they will remember as well. That's too, right. So. <laughs> <laughs> but we're in the game, I think, is the take-home message. You know, we're in the yes. fight as an organization, and it only happens through the support through our members, through those that choose to support us in auctions, uh, those that want to support the foundation directly. Obviously, I cannot encourage that enough uh, to just support and know that those dollars are going where they're needed uh, from a conservation and education advocacy perspective. Absolutely. I feel very fortunate to sit on the DSC Foundation Board. And uh, we've got some things coming up a little bit later in the spring that we'll come back to. We're not quite there yet. but uh, And want to talk about some of the project care that we've been involved with in terms of... Uh, it's amazing the good that's come out of the monies that we've been able to provide to either organizations, to studies, to even individuals in some instances, particularly in cases of uh, some of the anti-poaching things we've been able to accomplish in Africa and relieving some other places as well. Absolutely. You know, when you look at, uh, say, Hunter's Care, just as one example that you just yes. lightly touched on there, you know, 
26 million acres conserved with hundreds of jobs of from rural community members that are preserved there in a time in which dollars were not going to the African bush. Uh, I mean, it was truly a lifeline that kept a lot of people in business and kept people employed. And equally importantly, it kept wildlife conservation happening. It kept wildlife conservation, and it kept wildlife, too. Yep, that's not right. just the conservation part, but actually the actual animals as well, too. So there's, there's so many ways that you can do things that can really help, but you've got to become aware of them. You've got to become involved. That's and right. DSC is an ideal way to do that. We've got all kinds of levels of membership and greatly encourage, regardless of where you are financially in your life right now, I guarantee you there's something that's worthwhile if, from a membership perspective from DSC, particularly if you care about wildlife and you care about what's going on in the world, not only in North America, but across the world as well. If you're interested to know a little bit more about the foundation, you can go to dscf.org, and there's some really nice, great videos there. And of course, Dallas Fork Club's got a great website as well, too. You bet. Yeah, they can find us at biggame.org. Uh, you know, when I think people think of the membership of DSC, which obviously we always encourage that, I think one sort of just a fun point of interest is we had a membership given away uh, each night during our, excuse me, uh, essentially a, an opportunity, a hunt adventure right. regarding oh, yes. recent yes. membership signups. Um, and when we looked, we had a number each night and we had uh, winners that were drawn from New York, uh, Indiana, New Hampshire, Wyoming, uh, just from all across the United oh, States. Fantastic. Uh, and so it was great to see because it's really reflective of the way in the base of the organization has grown. I mean, it's a global organization uh, and across, all across North America. In fact, we had someone sign up for a watch party in Argentina. You know, really? So how cool is that? That is beyond cool as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's right. So what's next for DSC? I know we're, you're in the planning stages now already, as I mentioned, for 2022. You know, we kind of joke. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Elf, but, uh, you know, when Santa Claus comes <laughs> home that night, he drops his bag and he says, we just had a great Christmas delivery. And he says, now it's time to start planning for next year, you know, like 30 seconds after he celebrated his success. And that's kind of where we are. You know, we. We start looking towards the 22 convention already, uh, making preparations. And of course, that you know that occurs many of years. But now we particularly turn and focus on that uh, from from the convention side of the shop. Uh, from the other side, again, we continue to focus on these pieces of legislation that are really either supportive or ill-informed. Uh, depends on what it is. Uh, we have a number of really large opportunities in front of us. We have uh, IUCN World Congress. Uh, that will be coming up this year that we'll play an active role in. Uh, we've been selected to participate in a number of animals working groups uh, that I'll be participating in. Right, uh, other right. boards and committees that we serve on uh, from state level bighorn sheep to mule deer to whitetail uh, that uh, that we serve on as well and some, some federal uh, uh, pieces of legislation that we're engaged in with other partners. And, and so, you know, there's a lot of things out there that we're right in the middle of and from a strategy perspective and we continue to just look for partners to work with around the world, and, and um, I really feel like we're, we're headed the right direction, and we have a great board that leads us there and, and a great body of staff that, that executes the mission. Corey, thank you so very much. We're going to come back later on, maybe a couple of weeks or so, we'll talk about some of those other projects, maybe try to catch you, get an update. This thing that's going on in New Mexico is, is scary, so I want to try to keep people totally informed of that because... One of those states like that can set a precedent for others to look at. And right. the things that are going on there right now, from what I'm hearing from you, uh, are very contrary, contrary to anything as far as wildlife conservation is concerned. So thank you very much. 
Thank you to all the folks who are involved with the virtual event, from the people who donated to the people who bid to the, all the staff and everybody involved and all the members. So look forward to more members joining very quickly. Thank you all for being with us this morning. DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by Texas Wildlife Association, working for tomorrow's wildlife today. Texas Raised Hunting Products, The Scent Gods, can attract boots for the trails less traveled. Voight, the finest in hunting gear. Pyramid Air for all things air gun. And Ripcord Rescue Travel Protection. 